and it waxes and it wanes. You know, sometimes I think I'm, I'm amazing and I just love my own company and I feel like I'm in a whole world of bliss. And then there are other times when I'm completely lost and I don't know who I am or what I am or what my name is. And again, it brings me back to that, that little recipe of, first of all, know yourself. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Hey guys, I am super excited this week to introduce you to someone who probably needs no introduction actually. For those of you who have followed up for a chat, obviously we've had the amazing Cindy O'Meara, but this week I'm super proud and honoured to bring to you our other part of the trio, the amazing Karen Smith. Now this week we talk all things obviously self-love, but as many of you will know, Karen Smith has the ability to go down the rabbit hole like no one else. I sincerely love uh, the way she questions things, the way she has such a curious mindset. And I particularly loved one of her quotes that to know oneself is to love oneself. And she also then quoted something from the Bible, know thyself, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall shed shall set you free. You know, there's one thing that Karen has taught me is that every single time you have a challenge or a negative thought or you don't feel good enough or there's self-doubt, there's the opportunity for the contrast. And it is only the contrast that will give you the outcome or the teaching. And the beautiful thing is when you acknowledge and hear and feel and get curious about the contrast. So in other words, if you're really angry, what's the contrast of anger? and maybe it is love. So how do you use the the contrast of love in order to see the truth, which then in turn, as she says, will set you free? Of course, it's in those moments of anger and frustration and, uh, you know, absolute negativity or completely being thrown into the throes of something that, you know, absolutely knocks you off your perch that it's not going to be easy to turn around and say, oh, what's the contrast in this? She talks also in the con- in the podcast about that the only time the work can be done is either side of that moment, not in the moment, but either side. And I really love the way she takes us down the rabbit hole into realizing that it's utilizing the contrast of our experiences that allows for our own expansion. Please check the show notes for all the beautiful ways you can connect with Karen. And for those of you who don't know you, buckle up, get ready, because she's going to take you on a ride that perhaps is one of the most amazing souls for articulating the spirit, the universal thoughts, the collective consciousness that we are all a part of. Sincerely hope you enjoy today's podcast. Do not forget all your beautiful notes in the show notes with all the links. And of course, um, for me personally, with our amazing sponsor of the show, 28, if you do go to 28.com, that's the word 20 and the number 8.com, then if you put in, there's an amazing code, Self Love Podcast and you will get an incredible discount uh, on any of our self-love and self-care products in there. Really honoured to be sponsored by them. Of course, you all know my connection and love of 28, and especially my beautiful team that are making this all possible. So guys, hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's get into it. Beautiful Karen Smith, I have been dying to get you into this brand new show. You know how much I adore you. One of my absolute closest besties on the planet and also somebody that people will know very much from our beautiful trio with Cindy on Up For A Chat. What I love most about you, my darling, is the way in which you take us down rabbit holes, your perspective on life. But what I'd really love to ask first up, you sweetheart soul, first of all, welcome to the show. And secondly, what is your definition of self-love? Well, thank you for having me on the show, Miss Kimmy. It's very, very special to be invited. So thank you. Um, What is my definition of self-love? Well, Me, 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 me. So I think, (laughs) yes, if you haven't already um, discovered on Up for a Chat, I'm a little nutty. 
Um, but my definition of self-love, so I believe for me that one must know oneself in order to love oneself. So self-love for me starts with self-awareness. It starts with our ability to know thyself. And when I think of that beautiful saying of to thine own self be true and know thyself and to thine own self be true. Um, and then the next is a biblical saying of the truth. Ye, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. <laughs> I love that because it kind of, for me, it's like a recipe of know thyself and then to thine own self be true. So self-awareness, being able to be very aware of what goes on between my two ears, what kind of conversations am I having with myself? What kind of um, way am I treating myself? What am I doing to myself? How is my relationship with myself? What condition is that in? And it waxes and it wanes. You know, sometimes I think I'm, I'm amazing and I just love my own company and I feel like I'm in a whole world of bliss. And then there are other times when I'm completely lost and I don't know who I am or what I am or what my name is. And again, it brings me back to that, that little recipe of, first of all, know yourself. And I don't know about everybody else, but I feel like I'm quite a complex creature and I change moment by moment and how I feel changes moment by moment. So I'm constantly knowing myself. I'm constantly learning more about myself. I'm constantly just in a, in a place of self-discovery which then gives me a platform to stand on for that to thine own self be true. When I say this is how I feel about something, this is what I think about something, I can know my own mind rather than being in a position where I'm questioning my own mind and doubting myself. You know, I think that self-trust plays a big part in that. And then the next part of that is ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you, shall set you free. And that is when we know the truth about ourselves, we see that we're actually quite perfect and that we're always a work in progress and we're very soft and we're very gentle and we're very childlike. And when we see that about ourselves and we can be in a state of acceptance about that, about ourselves and actually embracing that and relishing that, then we can kind of set ourselves free of the coulds, woulds, shoulds, mustn'ts, musts, the obligations, the competitions, the, the, um, all of the stuff that keeps us entrapped and enchained to a life that really doesn't feel like it's worth living a lot of the time. So it's only in our freedom, I think, that we can find the magic and the bliss of what life has to offer us. So those are my, that's my definition. Long story. Ooh, dear idea. Sorry, Kimmy. Got no, caught, got caught no. there. It was so beautiful. And I heard a statement not long ago that, you know, self-love is self-respect. And where I heard, where you said self-trust, I just want to go there a little bit because Ooh. I love the fact that you also talked about the opposing force of that, which in that sentence was self-doubt. So do you believe in order to have self-trust, we need to understand self-doubt? Is there the opposing forces in your opinion? And how would you see that playing out in, in our lives? Mm, good question, Swaraj. Good question. You're very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I think most people, once we kind of get through our teenage years and we get into 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s, I think that life presents us with enough opportunities to experience self-doubt where we really question ourselves and we find ourselves very unsure of one, who we are and two, where we stand on certain things. So I think that we all really have a very good relationship with self-doubt and I don't think that that's something we need to put any energy into because it's what's already there. What I think that um, we are as humans is we do learn from contrast. So what you're saying is that with the opposing force of self-doubt to self-trust, I just think it's the way that we tend to learn. But what we do do with those um, heavier 
kind of experiences of, say, self-doubt is we don't see it as a platform to learn self-trust. We just stay stuck rotating and swimming in self-doubt and I'm not good enough and it'll never work for me and I don't know who I am and I don't know what I think about this and I'm such a peanut and no one trusts me and I don't trust myself and I never know what I'm doing, I never get it right. We tend to swim around in a lot of that rather than thinking, well, that's the opposing force to something. What's the something? And let me build a relationship with that that's just as strong as and connected to the relationship that I have with self-doubt. And when we do ask that question, trust is what's going to come up. We're going to say, well, what is the opposite to self-doubt? And that's going to be trust. So now how do I learn to trust myself? Well, if you've never trusted yourself before, of course it's going to be a new experience and it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a little bit of attention. But what we'll find is that one is our natural state of being and the other is simply a tool for learning. And once the learning is complete, the tool has completed its job and it dissolves and it disappears. And then we go on to learning something else and we tend to learn through contrast. So the thing I want to say about that is that anything that feels heavy or what we would determine negative it's really only there to teach you its direct opposite. So if we can say, okay, well, I'm feeling so much anger and I don't want to feel this, what's the direct opposite of anger for you? And then that gives you what the lesson is that that anger was destined for. Because life was not meant to be difficult or challenging. Life is meant to be blissful and holistic and enjoyable and all about our expansion. The fact that we learn through contrast means we have to use the contrast, utilize the contrast for our own expansion. Don't sit and swim in the contrast and see it as your lot in life and then land up in a box. I mean, we're all going to land up in a box at the end of the day. And I'm sure, you know, if anybody's listening to this, they may have heard me say that before. So the ride is up to you. The quality of the ride is up to you. But one thing I do know for a fact is once the lesson has been learned, once the contrasting or the opposing force has been embraced, then the the platform for learning, like the anger or the self-doubt, it dissolves itself because it no longer has a purpose in your life because you've learnt the new experience and the reason it existed in the first place. Does that make sense? So beautiful and almost gives us permission to have these experiences and gives us the right to actually go after the inquiry. One thing that I have loved about you in all my years of friendship and our podcast and all of our talks and travels and everything that we've done together Mm. is the question you're saying to us, go after the question, go after, you know, question what it is to, to create the opportunity for expansion. Can you explain to us who is talking when we ask that question and who is listening when we hear the question? Kimberly. I'm sorry. I just love when you go here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So most of us are not really paying attention when we talk to ourselves. So we tend to have this inner dialogue that goes on between our two ears and we say, oh, I feel like a cupcake today or no, don't have a cupcake, go to the gym instead. And we have this inner dialogue going on um, between our two ears. What we don't realize, though, is that there is a part of us that's doing the talking and there is a part of us that's doing the listening. And when we can understand that there is a distinction between the two, then it makes self-awareness a completely different conversation. The voice that's doing the talking oftentimes is the voice of the intelligence the voice that's, or the, the part of us that's doing the listening is oftentimes the state of awareness. It's the, almost the unconscious. You know, when we can repeat something to ourselves over and 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 over again, like I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, that then transfers into the unconscious mind and becomes part of what drives our behaviour. So the more we repeat something to ourselves, the more it conditions 
who and what we are. So you can see then that there is a part that's, that's doing the conditioning and there's a part that's being conditioned. So when we get the distinction between the two, we then have control over the conversation that's happening between our two ears when we recognise that there is a part of me that's speaking and a part of me that's listening. Now, the part of us that we want to really get in touch with and build a relationship with is the part that's listening, not the part that's speaking. Simply because the part that's speaking speaks all the freaking time. Like it's just constant. It doesn't shut up. And if you had a friend that spoke around in circles 24 hours a day, because it speaks even when you're dreaming, but if you had somebody that was a best friend that spoke the whole time, should I do this? Should I not do that? What do I, what do I think? Does my butt look big in these jeans? What should I be doing? Should I be going there? Should I not be going there? If, that, if, if you had somebody who was at you like that, all day, every day, your whole life, would you stay friends with them? It's highly unlikely. But yet we don't do anything with that that exists in between our two ears. So in order to know ourselves and to build that self-love, we have to distinguish between what serves us and what doesn't serve us. And for the most part, when people have these conversations, they're talking about what's happening out in the world. I don't often refer to that. I always refer to what's happening on the inner world, what serves us and what doesn't serve us. And so that constant chatter, if we can, I, what I tend to do is I pretend that there's a vacuum, like a vacuum cleaner, a pipe from my ear into a pretend person that I have standing next to me. And I pretend that all of that chat, 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 chat is being sucked out of my head and put into the pretend person. <laughs> I can hear you laughing. And I, then I take that pretend person and I walk it and pop it onto my lounge. So when Matt comes to sit on the lounge, my partner, he sits on top of my pretend person and he squashes it. But all of my chat, 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 chat is constantly going into a pretend person and then I walk that pretend person away from me, a far way away. So then what's left between my two ears is actually quiet. And it's in that quiet that is the listener. That's the observer. That's the watcher. You guys might have heard or seen that kind of language being referred to. It's part of our consciousness. There is a watcher. There is an observer. And to be able to connect to that without all the dialogue and the storytelling, that allows us to actually know the perfection and also the power of what we truly are independently of all of the noise that we've been conditioned to be thinking constantly. You know, in the Eastern, Eastern countries, they don't celebrate intelligence like we do. You know, we have memory, which is just, you know, a constant source of disturbance and we have inner dialogue which serves a purpose when it comes time to do your bass or your tax return but it doesn't serve a purpose when it comes to self-love knowing yourself to thine own self be true and having that truth set you free the big things the important things in life no our intelligence doesn't actually serve a purpose in that place it does serve a purpose in the practicalities of life. Go do your groceries and remember what you want to buy. But when it comes to the real things, like what you're talking about, Kimmy, here with this self-love, intelligence doesn't weigh in. In fact, what it does is it becomes a barrier and a hindrance. Does that all make sense? Oh, gosh, yes, it's beautiful. And I think it's also just important for us to realise here that I think in the depths of pain or despair or doubt or worry or trauma or fright or fear, all of those things that come up, mm. it's very hard to think or to create the opportunity for the conversation and to become the observer because we are so connected to the pain. Mm. So I want to ask you, I love this conversation perhaps when we're sitting in a good place, in a good mm. space, 
But what about when the monkey brain is going or we're confronted with someone we love that's been hurt or um, something that's happened with our money or, you know, we're worried or something's just completely hit us like a Mack truck? What would be your go-to or advice on what we do in those times so that we then give ourselves the opportunity to at least know that we're going to have that conversation later and to trust? And it's such an important point. Doing the work in the heat of the moment will never work. Simply because we go to a default mode of operating. And I don't know about you guys, but certainly when things have been really traumatic for me, you kind of go on autopilot. And the me that I normally am almost leaves the room. (laughs) And I'm left with this autopilot, breathing, sleeping, moving, talking, acting, you know. And then after the fact, I'll look back and go, oh, my God, you know, I, I, I was so not even present there. Or I was just coping. I only just coped. So trying to do what I'm suggesting that we do with the self-awareness and quieting the mind and so on, trying to do that in that moment, it, it, it won't work because the unconscious mind is what takes over and we move into a default mode of operation. So the key is to condition the unconscious mind when things are fine like this, like now is to give your unconscious mind a new set of strategies. But you see, you can't teach the unconscious mind in the heat of the moment. You can only teach the unconscious mind either side of the heat of the moment. And that's what lays down new neurological patterns so that when we do go into a default mode of operating, the unconscious mind has access to choice. And then over time the unconscious mind will only have access to the strongest neurologically wired pattern of behavior. And in NLP, which you would know, Kimmy, the longer something fires together, the stronger it wires together. So the more we are present to knowing the inner world, paying attention to all of the noise and clearing the head out and sticking it into a pretend person and walking that pretend person away and then building a relationship with that self-awareness, that quietness and understanding who we are and then acting on that. Each time we do that, we are giving the unconscious mind a new choice and a new neurological pattern to access. The more you do that, it becomes the only neurological pattern to access. Will you still get sad? Will you still have pain? Hands down, yes. Um, You know, we were just talking about a situation before we got on the show here that I've just recently gone through and I'm still speechless about it, you know. But I am aware of what I'm doing. I'm not unaware. Does that make sense? Like I know... I know what my mind and my body and my soul are feeling. Well, not my soul because the soul's pretty neutral, but I know what my mind and my body are experiencing. I'm very aware of it. And I'm also very aware that I need some help to get to the other side of it. And sometimes I can't help myself. And that's where I have people like you and Cindy and another really good friend of mine, Mark, who, you know, I'll unload on and then you guys help me see a different perspective and listening to podcasts like this this is what helps people to get new ways of participating in their life with awareness rather than unconsciously Hmm. do you think in this day and age in the way that we are with so much noise around media television Netflix, conversations in pubs, hotels, um, work environments, the everyday mum doing all the motions and everything. Do you think in our Western culture we give enough time and energy and, and real commitment to this inner work? No, I definitely don't think that we do. Mm. No, I don't think that we do. And that's one thing that I've actually quite enjoyed about this whole slowdown that's occurred because of... Um, corona is that it has allowed so many more people to um 
slow their lives down or to gain a different perspective on life. And even that is a step in the right direction. It's really caused us to have a good look at ourselves, have a good look at where we stand on things, you know, regardless of where a person stands. It's forced us to really have a look at ourselves individually and collectively. But I think that we have an opportunity to be so much more self-aware than what we've ever been. And I always, and I actually do feel like there's a real groundswell of people having conversations about the inner world now that we were never having these conversations five years ago or even three years ago. I think there's a lot more awareness about how we create the world we live in through the inner, through the inner dialogue, through the inner conversation. So I think we have a long way to go, but I, I'm excited to think that we have started and that there are more of us that are opening up conversations like this where we're really honing in on the importance of um, building that relationship with ourselves. Mm. It's probably now more important than ever, especially when there is just, in many ways, opinion overload. So many people have an opinion and so many people think what we should or shouldn't be doing. And we have politicians doing what they're told to do. We have Mm. bigger companies driving those behaviours. And then we have beliefs that the everyday news and information that we're receiving is truth. You've always said to me that and to us and to all of our listeners that we've had over the years that there that media is driven by fear that that that's how we get our news that's how we can comprehend it that's how we feed it and we as humans seem to buy into that Mm. why is that and and how do we in the voice that we're all in now in your words that we are collective one and all is one one is all yet there is all this bombardment of noise and it's very difficult i would imagine for many people to actually decipher what is truth and what isn't how and can you explain to us why the media drives it all with fear and how do we create a space for us to actually make our own choices and come up with our own educated informed decisions oh it's a million dollar question isn't it Mm. um You know, I think that there are a lot of different ideas around that and why the media does what it does and how it does what it does. You know, the media is very much driven by ratings and very much driven by the number of people who buy into what they say. So if you read a newspaper or you watch a news show and you buy into it, you'll watch it again. And then if you buy into the next message, you'll watch it again and you'll watch it again and you'll watch it again. And it's like we learned, like we mentioned earlier, we learned through contrast. It's almost as if the negativity and the fear that is portrayed by the media feeds a, and it's yuck, but I'm sure everybody can kind of relate to what I'm saying. It feeds a hungry beast inside that almost, well, it grows the more that we feed it. So there are people who do nothing but talk about everything that's going on and how bad it all is and the state of the play and how wrong and all of that sort of stuff. And I I think we can all say that there's a part of us that has an opinion about what's happening. But for some people, it's all-consuming. And for those people, the media is winning and they are kind of sliding down a slippery slope of fear and of darkness and they feel it themselves. But sometimes we don't know how to get out of that. We don't know how to save ourselves from that. But the media banks on that and the media knows that that's what fuels the public's interest in them is their ability to engender that fear and to feed that beast inside. And the bigger the beast grows, the more you'll want to listen and the more you'll want to consume content and information that the media is going to give out. For the people who are not doing that, people who are not entertaining the media, yes, we can know what we're doing, we can know what's going on, but it 
doesn't feed a beast because we have the beast well and truly under control. It's almost like I had this conversation with a girlfriend yesterday. It's almost like there's a light and a dark and it's again coming back to contrast and those opposing forces. For those that are entrapped in the fear of it all, I can understand why there is a lot that is foreign to us. But then there's the opposing force, which is the light. And it's not light due to ignorance. It's light due to, um, oh, I don't even know what word I would say. It's, it's light in, in spite of. It's, it, yeah, it's more light in spite of. It's recognizing that all of that is going on. And what's my stand on it? What's my position on it? Because the only thing that I can control is how I feel. And if how I feel is devastated, dark, depressed, angry, and I'm not willing to do anything with that, I'm just going to sit and bitch and moan amongst my friends and family with it, then it's counterproductive to me and to them. So I have to take responsibility for how I feel. And with that, I would also say that it's only going to be those that are going to stay in the light that are actually going to make a difference to this darkness because the dark can't change the dark. The fear can't change the fear. Only the opposing force can create change. So this was a conversation I had with a friend of mine yesterday was that I know what's going on in the media, and this is just me personally, and I'm not right, but I know what's going on in the media and I do have an opinion about it. Of course I do. But my job as part of... um, a more spiritual community for want of a better term is to stay in the light so that I'm not sliding down a slippery slope of fear and I'm not losing myself. I'm gaining greater strength day after day after day after day. And I'm using all of the fear that's being perpetuated around everything from the sex trafficking to the coronavirus to the face masks. I'm using all of that as my platform to become stronger in the light so that I contribute to this collective consciousness. And am I willing to be somebody who will go and do something about what's happening? That is me. I am that person. So when the time comes, I will step forward in whatever way is going to be right for me. But I'm not going to be the person who's going to go and rally and scream and rant and rave. That's not who I'm I'm going to be. So we all have to, again, coming back to knowing ourselves, we all have to know ourselves and where we stand in all of this. And, you know, it is a very unique time in history, but it will go down in history as a time of enormous change and enormous transformation. And it is what it is. We are where we are. So hanging on to what was is what the media wants us to do. Pushing against it and resisting and wishing for what we used to have, it's what the media wants us to do. And that gets their ratings up and that makes them make money in a time where technically they could all be folding overnight simply because people are turning to the internet for the news. So... Mm. It's a pretty amazing time. And yeah. I remember when we were told about social distancing and self-isolation, I, I couldn't even grasp my head around that on many levels. And I called it um, self-inquiry and social respect. And I just mm. changed the wording for myself. And I remember thinking, yeah, I can appreciate if, if I had a cold or a flu, actually to have social respect is to stay away and distance myself from people. Yeah. And then to sometimes be put into time out, as mother, maybe Mother Nature has done to us over this from a bigger perspective, I have time to do some self-inquiry and what am I going to use this time with? Some people have chosen to use this time as a bit of a break, obviously, but maybe have sabotaged themselves further. They've put on weight. They've been eating the wrong foods. They've been drinking more. They've seen it as an opportunity, for want of a better word, to to to. I guess, sabotage or to to not do the right thing by their mind, body and souls. Other people, and the word I keep hearing, have pivoted 
and have either evolved their business or taken it a completely different direction or they've chosen to look at the time at home with family and as, as a beautiful opportunity. And I think at the beginning, many of us could see that. Now we see Victoria back into lockdown mm. and we see Victoria put into a place and, and I can start to see, feel and hear the anger in this and that we're almost being um, put into a warlike situation. Mm. What would you say to the people that now have been very patient, maybe they've been open to the opportunity to give ourselves time to distance and respect one another, etc. but now they're losing their business because the second time round is really hitting or worse than that, Karen, I know you know this, but things like suicide and mental health and, you know, real pain is starting to occur. What would be your message of hope around this? Look, I, my heart does go out to everybody. Um, and that's why I say we've never seen a time like this before and it will go down in history. There's no two ways about it for many, many different reasons. As far as a message of hope, you know, I just feel like it's going to come back to the strength of each individual and our willingness to be selfish, um, be self-oriented, because nobody is going to look after, well, when I say nobody, the government is not looking after our best interests. It's really not. It's trying. There are parts where you can see that it's trying, but I, I, the, I also know that our government has never gone through a situation like this either. So as inept as they are, they're also, I don't think they know what they're doing. And I think probably everybody would agree with that. They don't know what they're doing. So we have to really be looking after ourselves. We really have to be looking to our families and to our friends and to our very, you know, our own personal communities and finding inspiration and hope in each other and together. And when I say hope, I don't mean hope that things will go back to normal or hope that things will get better. I mean hope in terms of hope for what we can create as a new normal for ourselves where we aren't necessarily so reliant on what's happening outside because we've become resilient and we've become extraordinarily on the inside. And when I say resilient, I don't mean bouncing back. I mean, bouncing forward, you know, really being able to bounce from everything, but making everything have you bounce towards something better. And that's my, you know, that's my message and that's my wish for everybody who's struggling through all of this that's going on is to bounce from it into something better. But it does, pay, it does mean paying attention and it does, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing and it's a day-by-day day thing. It's not something that's going to happen in the future because the future, we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, we didn't know that Victoria was going to go down into lockdown again. I didn't know that everything was going to happen in my business that, it, that, that happened. So there's so much that we can't predict. But when we are ourselves a very stable platform because we know ourselves and we've invested time into dismissing all of the chatter, even if you can just do it for two minutes a day or two minutes twice a day, that's enough but where we can dismiss all of the chatter and just actually be with what's left and understand that what's in there is actually a very stable and a very unaffected version of ourselves. And now let's build a relationship with that. Then we will be more resilient and we will then be able to bring more of ourselves to each other and to our communities, which is really where the power and the strength lies. It doesn't lie in the world at large. It, it lies in the strength of our strength lies in our immediate world, the world that's around us. Mm. 
You're someone who has been through a lot and your life has certainly been an incredible journey. And Cindy and I always talk about the fact that whenever we think of your story, whenever we're with you, whenever we hear you speak, we get literally, we literally get tingles up our spine and up over our heads. And you are someone who we have looked to for guidance. Um, you are definitely someone we would call a beacon of light. And I know many people listening to this also really have appreciated your story and what you've been through. For those that don't know um, your story about surviving the Bali bomb, I'm not suggesting we have to go through the whole story because I know it's something that you have certainly moved forward and through. But how did you bounce forward from that? And how long did it take you to realize that you had the potential and the perspective to know you could bounce forward from that? Um, well, you know, I think it took me about six years. And it was, and I'm very grateful that it was only six years, incredibly grateful. Um, and what it was, was I realized I was seeing psychologist after psychologist after psychologist. And what I came to understand was that nobody outside of myself had any answers. <laughs> and I was very frustrated and I was very disappointed and I, and I didn't know where else to go. And I remember um, there were a whole stack of books that my mum was trying to get me to read. You know, she was trying to support me and get me to change my mind and change my view. And there was a book, a very small little book called The, um, the Way Through. Oh, no, The Way Out, The Way Out. And the author is anonymous. And um, when I read The Way Out, it's, like I said, it's very small. It's out of print, but I do know you can still get it, I think, um, online and perhaps as a Kindle. Um, but it was a book that had the right words at the right time. And it was also a story that my dad told me about the transformation of the caterpillar to the butterfly and how the caterpillar goes through hell for his transformation. But then also his fight for his life is actually breaking out of his chrysalis. And that's what makes him stronger. And that's the fight of his life, not the actual transformation although that's hell, but it's becoming a beautiful butterfly because of that fight. And that was enough for me to recognize that I could either become less of a person because of my experiences of having lost my partner to suicide, having my own suicidal depression, and then going through the Bali bombing and my two best friends being killed. And of the subsequent responsibility that I felt for that, I could either become less of a person because of that. And that was almost in my mind justified that I would become a, a shadow of the person that I was intending to be, or I could have my experiences make me more. And it was in that understanding. And I remember being in my lounge room when I, when I figured that bit out, it was in that understanding that I got the, I got the concept for myself of contrast of opposing forces of opposites when I realized that I could become less and I was lying in bed and crying about my life. I was, and I did that for a long, long time, six years. And then I realized, well, that has to be the platform that I leap from to become the best version of me. So what is the best version of me? What is the most powerful version of me? And then I use the analogy of the butterfly for myself. And this was my own inner dialogue where I thought, well, I have to be beautiful and I have to be able to fly up high with the breeze underneath my wings and I have to be brilliant and I have to be amazing and I have to be strong and I have to be the perfection of all that I'm capable of being and I have to acknowledge that and I have to love that about myself and everything that I came up with was the direct opposite of what I was feeling at the time. And it was from that understanding that I thought, well, I've never felt that. I've never loved myself and I've never declared my own self-love and I've never trusted myself and I've never been perfect and I've never felt brilliant. So those are the things that I need to pursue. And 
that's what I pursued ferociously. I threw myself into every possible experience where I could prove to myself that I would eventually find brilliance. Of course, I failed a million times, but I knew I would strive to brilliance. And I worked on seeing myself as beautiful and as perfect and as strong and powerful and magnificent and an absolute voice of the divine. And that was my ultimate goal. And I just, I still to this day, it's a, I'm a work in progress and I, but, but I know who I am because of the attention that I paid to having that be my outcome and mastering life was my priority and it still is. So just depends on the choices that people make. You know, we can decide to become the masters of our lives and the masters of, of magnificence or we can be the masters of the mundane and not pay any attention to it. And both ways we're going to land up in a box. So both are right. It's just, it's just choice. What are your, <laughs> that's so beautiful. What are your self-care rituals? What do you do to take care of you and that magnificence and brilliance and perfection that you are? How do you take care of you? Um, I get a lot of my um, juju from my little animals. <laughs> so I have lots of fluffy puppy schnaggles. And that's my, um, that's my jam. I live for that. That's my sunshine. Um, I'm a very soft and a very, um, I've got a lot of love in my heart. So I spend as much time as I can with the people that I love. And I also have a lot of love for humanity. So I spend a lot of my time. In fact, I would probably say, 60% of my time goes to my love of humanity. So it's doing things like this, Kimmy, and it's writing books um, and it's um, speaking and it's creating and I'm working on making movies and films now and TV series and, um, you know, just lots of different things that are all about improving the experience for humanity because I feel like if I've been through what I've been through and I've come out the other side and I feel complete, then it feels natural that I would give back. And that is part of a self-care ritual for me. It really is because I have so much love inside of myself that if I don't give it out, it just overflows and I, and I, and I get great joy from that. Um, but of course I exercise, I eat raw food and I have my celery juice in the mornings and I find that very much a self-care ritual for me. As I wake up, I have my lemon and ginger water, I have my celery juice, make my beautiful smoothie, I pack my bag, feed my beautiful doggies, take them for walks and schnaggling and then I'm ready to start work at about 10 usually. <laughs> You lush, you lush. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, what is your magic at the moment around the movies and the films? What's what's drawn you to that? Ah, oh, well, so when COVID struck, my business kind of went poof, and um, I have a lot of people that I coach, and a lot of their businesses went poof. So I had to look at what I was going to do with myself, simply because everything that I had been doing and relying on for an income um, almost disappeared overnight. And uh, late last year, I started to become really, really interested in screenwriting and um, producing and directing stories and videos for um, people and organizations. And so I did a couple of courses and I really enjoyed them. And then at the beginning of the year in January, I enrolled at the university to do a, a screen and media course, which I loved, loved, loved. And then I found um, by March, everything had slowed down in my business. So it opened up a whole stack of time for me to really up-level my studying. So I started studying through Screen Canberra and they have a course that I'm doing at the moment that's going to take me to the end of the year, which is all about creating a TV series 
and then pitching it to the um, production companies in order to gain funding. Now, you know me, Kimmy. Mm-hmm. Mm. So in March, I opened my own little production business called Little White House Productions because everything I'm doing is not so that I can go and work for somebody else. Everything that I'm doing is so that then I can become, I, I can have that as my own business and offer those services to people. So um, Little White House Productions will start calling for manuscripts probably January 2021. Um, and then we will then pitch for funding through Screen Australia, Screen, Screen Queensland and Screen New South Wales to be able to produce documentaries and other um, screen productions that are based on a genre which is called creative nonfiction. So it's based on true stories. And I'm very, very excited about that because I feel like it's the next phase of everything that I've done. Um, you know, everybody's eyes are on media. It's all on the screen, whether it's computers or Netflix or what have you. And it's the new way of learning and creating transformation is through stories. So um, I'm really excited to be at the, well, for, my, in, for, for me, I'm excited to be at the, at, at the, at the helm of all of that. So, yeah, that's my, new, that's, my new, that's my future new day job, but it's getting all of my attention at the moment and I love it. I love the fact that um, most of us learn through storytelling way better than we do through factual uh, information. And I remember someone saying to me many years ago as a speaker and as a storyteller, make sure you fill their hearts before their heads. Mm. How do you feel we as a community, society, planet, can continue the ability to connect, um, particularly for those that may feel a little bit withdrawn right now, maybe feel a little bit alone. How do you think we need to keep showing up in order to maintain that connection so that the stories may be told? Well, I think there's never been a better time to really be telling the stories. I think um, if there is anybody listening to this podcast and you feel like you have a book in you or a 10 page ebook or just something, now is the most perfect time to be bringing that out of yourself. And if you don't know how to do it, go to my website, uh, karensmith.com, flick me an email, and I'll send you a link to a free webinar that I did on how to write a book. I did it about a year and a half ago and you can have it. It's all there. Um, just send me an email and I'll get that across to you. And I'll, I'll send it to you, Kimmy. And if you've got anybody that wants it, that you can just send it out as well. Um, but I think anybody who has a story inside of themselves, this is the perfect time to spend getting clarity on that story, to spend building the message that you want to tell and what's your intention for the people hearing it. And that's a really big part of telling a story. It's not just telling a story for the t- sake of getting it out of you. It's telling the story to fulfill an intention that you have for the listener or the reader or the viewer. What's that intention? And knowing that first then provides a bit of a roadmap for how you tell the story and what your end game is. So it's, I think we've never been at a better time. And like I said, this is a time that's going to go down in history. So if you've got an experience about what's going on now, or if you've got an experience or a story about your own life, or you've got a story that you've made up and you want to share it, that's more fictional. If you've got a story that's about, you know, that is still a work in progress because you don't know the end of it yet, start writing it. Or if you're not somebody who loves writing, record it onto your phone. Just do something to get that story out of your head and onto paper or into a recording so that then your head is clear to get the next chapter or the next piece. But while ever you've just got the story circulating in your own mind and it's not outside of you, you'll only ever repeat the same part of the story. But when you get it out, then your brain will then look for the next piece or the next part. And that's what we really want to be able to do is really want to be able to create the space between our two ears to get the next phase of the story that we perhaps don't necessarily know quite yet. 
amazing and just so there's no irony in your timing on all things that you deliver maybe there's no irony in the timing on all things we all deliver I know we've all pivoted during this time and moved into the space of truly shining all our lights and Mm. I cannot wait to see this come to fruition you certainly helped me with my book you've helped me so much to be a voice and to really express my passion around self-love and it's thanks to you and Cindy and our seven years of working together so closely and so intimately, (laughs) traveling Mm. the world together and continuing to to do that same thing just in different ways. I just want to publicly acknowledge you and beautiful Cindy for all that you've done for us. And I just, as we come to the close, I've got two final questions for you. One is, if you can tell us someone living or dead that absolutely has been an inspiration to you or that you'd love to meet or just tell us why that person um, is someone so important in your life and why you are so um, magnetized to their energy or their presence or what they're about. And then the final thing is I'd love for you to share with us one of your favorite quotes. Oh, Okay. So Nelson Mandela's my jam. Um, I'm South African. And when I grew up in South Africa, it was very much in a time at the time of apartheid. So it wasn't until I was older that I had the opportunity to research and discover more of what happened, which led me down the path to Nelson Mandela. And what I see in him is very much somebody who is very altruistic, but also incredibly strong and incredibly powerful and incredibly magnetic. He was able to create a movement in and amongst South Africa that was instrumental in changing the mindset of the whites and the blacks, albeit it's not complete yet because it's still, you know, um, a bit of a schmozzle there, but he was instrumental in creating that. So that, that magnetic way that he was able to, um, move and inspire hearts and minds is something that I've always admired and I've always aspired to um, look to him to think, well, what would he do and how would he be in this instance? Because he was also an incredibly spiritual man and he was a very gentle man. So he wasn't brash and uh, like Gandhi, they're they're not brash, they're not forceful, they're not um, egotistical. They're more interested in the betterment of humanity and that just brings tears to my eyes at the thought of that because I feel like if I could even just be a glimmer of that then you know my life is complete and as far as a quote is concerned one that I've always turned to is um, by Buddha it's all that we have is a result of what we have thought And I believe now more than ever that is proving to be true. Our thoughts are creative. Our thoughts are things. And if we think it's not, then I think we're probably missing a huge vehicle for change and transformation in our own lives. Amazing, as always, tingles up my spine and just constantly feeling, it actually makes me miss our up for a chat, I have to say, (laughs) and it makes me miss um, what we've shared over so long, but like anything, there is new energy that's created. Um, I just want to ask you if people want to follow you, um, just in case they're new and they really um, are brand new to us and and what we're about. I've been getting messages from all around the world since this podcast launched only a couple of weeks ago and people that have somehow found it and have asked to be on the show, a lady from Botswana, a gentleman from um, the US. I had another lady approach me from the UK just saying this message is so what we need right now. And I know that part of our community is what we all need to share so how can we share and find you beautiful girl well congratulations Kimmy and I'm not the least bit surprised my love not even close I think it's I think it is so perfectly timed um, and so spot on and I can't think of a better person to be hosting a message like this honestly you're just this is this is where you were always meant to to arrive at this point in time so 
you know, thank you on behalf of the rest of the planet for answering the call, hey? Oh, sweet. Um, so where people can find me, so you can go to my website. It's karensmith.com and it's C-A-R-R-E-N smith.com. And you can find me on all the socials. Um, on Facebook, it's Karen Smith one And on Instagram, it's Karen underscore Smith. And that's where you guys can follow me and check things out. Um, I'm in the process of building my YouTube channel as well. But you can find me there under Karen Smith, spelled C-A-R-R-E-N-S-M-I-T-H. You're amazing. We cannot wait to see where this new platform takes you, sweetheart, and in turn takes all of us. I can't believe it. I'm still, I'm still laughing at how we pulled ourselves together. For those of you that know Karen, just before we went on air, she told us, told me a story about how she slapped a snake in the face with a broom, and I just want to leave you with that image, <laughs> darling. Oh, Karen. the animal lover. <laughs> I didn't. I just. I, I didn't hurt him. It was a brush broom. It just. It just didn't want him in my house. <laughs> no, you made a point. It was an Enyo broom, so it was even a natural Enyo broom. broom. It, was, it was an Enyo broom. It was an Enyo broom. It was. <laughs> I love you. I love you, darlings. Till Thank next you. week, guys. See you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.